This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, it may not have been the best kept secret in politics, but former President Trump has officially let the cat out of the bag. He's running for president in 2024. We have takeaways from his announcement last night. Republicans are now projected to take the House. They have passed the 218 seats needed for a majority, and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has won his party's nomination for House Speaker. Find out more in the developments in Congress. Don't mess with Texas has taken on a whole new level of meaning. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has declared an invasion due to illegal immigration. Meanwhile, the city of brotherly love is now on his list as a destination for illegal border crossers. Walmart agrees to a massive settlement over opioid prescriptions at its pharmacies. We have more on the lawsuit. Not without obstacles, NASA has finally launched its unmanned Artemis 1 rocket. It's a major step on the mission to return to the moon. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Evelyn Lee. Good morning. Today's Wednesday, November 16th. Half a million deaths from the opioid crisis? Sad, isn't it? Man, that is just terrible. Yeah, and even though it is settling, Walmart still denies the allegations against the company. Right, but speaking of this, we are kicking off the program with a former leader who worked hard to tackle the opioid crisis. We're talking about former President Trump. He is running for president again in 2024 and made the official announcement last night at his Mar-a-Lago estate. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on Trump's third campaign for the Oval Office. America's comeback starts right now. Trump addressed guests at Mar-a-Lago with a sobering tone on Tuesday night. He called attention to the current state of the nation under President Biden's administration. We are here tonight to declare that it does not have to be this way. Trump decried the crisis at the southern border, record high inflation, and violent crime rates. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. The former president says he wants to tackle inflation and vowed to immediately reinstate border security policies like remain in Mexico if elected. He also promised to be tough when it comes to dealing with China and touted the benefits the country received from the trade war when he levied tariffs against them. We were getting hundreds of billions of dollars Many people think that because of this, China played a very active role in the 2020 election. Just saying, just saying. (laughs) Sure, that didn't happen. If Trump wins another presidential bid, it would make him only the second president in history to serve non-consecutive terms. This will not be my campaign. This will be our campaign altogether. He described the task as being not for any one individual, but as a movement involving all walks of life, ethnicities, and political backgrounds. We love both sides. We're going to bring people together. We're going to unify people. President Biden tweeted out, Donald Trump failed America following the announcement. Aides filed the official paperwork with the U.S. Federal Election Commission earlier in the day, setting up a committee called Donald J. Trump for President 2024. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. 
Republicans are projected to take control of the House of Representatives. They currently have 219 seats of the 218 needed for a majority. That means there could be a new House Speaker elected as well. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the developments in Congress. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi could soon be losing her role. The era of one-party Democrat rule in Washington is over. That's if projected results come to fruition. Current projections show Republicans surpassing the 218 seats needed for a majority. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy beat Representative Andy Biggs on Tuesday for the GOP House Speaker nomination. But not everyone is sure he has the support needed to win the gavel. McCarthy drew 188 to 31 secret ballot votes to secure the nomination. He will need 218 votes to become House Speaker. Biggs says McCarthy's speakership should not be a foregone conclusion as he doesn't have enough votes. Representative Matt Gates says he would need to get votes in the next six weeks that he couldn't get in the last six years. He predicts as few as five Republicans will be able to block McCarthy's candidacy. McCarthy says he knows the job will not be easy and wants to work with both sides of the aisle. The House is going to change. No longer is all the power going to rest the way Nancy had it. Um, no more proxy voting. Bills will actually go through committees. Um, they will be debated. Um, before they come to the floor and people actually have a say. He says success will come with unity. So either we're going to lead as a team or we're going to lose as individuals. And I think at the end of the day, we will lead as a team. Representative Steve Scalise was elected to serve as House Majority Leader on Tuesday. We're going to make Congress work again, not only ending proxy voting where people can show up to vote, but where the committees meet in person again to debate things that are important to the hardworking families who are struggling under this Biden agenda. Representative Elise Stefanik was re-elected as House GOP Conference Chair, defeating a challenge from Representative Byron Donalds. And we are the last line of defense in a House Republican majority to stand up for the American people. McCarthy will face a formal vote when the new Congress convenes in January. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Florida Senator Rick Scott said yesterday that he will mount a bid to unseat Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell. The announcement comes as some within the GOP look for a new direction in the wake of last week's election results. Scott was urged to challenge McConnell by former President Donald Trump. It escalated a long-simmering feud between Scott, who led the Senate Republicans' campaign arm this year, and McConnell over the party's approach to reclaiming a Senate majority. Scott wrote Senate Republicans a letter offering himself as a protest vote against McConnell in leadership elections. It read, quote, If you simply want to stick with the status quo, don't vote for me. Senate Republicans are expected to hold leadership elections today. I want to repeat again. Uh, I have the votes. I will be elected. Well, look, I don't own this job. Um, anybody in the conference is certainly entitled to challenge me, and uh, I welcome the contest. Senator Rick Scott was joined by Senators Mike Lee and Ron Johnson in circulating a letter among their Senate GOP colleagues late last week. It called for a postponement of the Senate leadership elections scheduled for today. Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced yesterday that he is invoking invasion clauses due to illegal immigration from Mexico. This will allow his administration to use the National Guard to repel illegal migrants, construct a border wall, and deploy gunboats. And today's Daniel Monahan has more. The cartels are terrorists, and it's time that we started treating them that way. Abbott won re-election by about 10 percentage points last week. One of the main issues he campaigned on was stopping illegal immigration. 
He says the declaration will fully authorize Texas to take unprecedented measures to defend the state against an invasion. It will entail deploying the Texas National Guard to the border. The Guard members will be authorized to repel and turn away illegal immigrants. The declaration will also enable Abbott to deploy gunboats to secure the border and will designate Mexican drug cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. These Mexican cartels are violent, deadly threats to every Texan and every American. Abbott will also attempt to enter a compact with other states in a bid to secure the border. The declaration enables Texas to enter into agreements with foreign powers to enforce border security. The governor's announcement appears to be unprecedented. The federal government is the entity that handles immigration and border security. However, millions of illegal immigrants have crossed into the United States since President Joe Biden took office last year. Meanwhile, Abbott also announced yesterday that the first group of illegal immigrants bused to the sanctuary city of Philadelphia from Texas had departed. He wrote that Philadelphia is now a drop-off location for Texas's busing strategy, combating what he called President Biden's border crisis. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Walmart has agreed to pay over $3 billion to settle lawsuits nationwide over the impact of the prescriptions its pharmacies filled for opioid painkillers. The deal would still need to be approved by 43 states to take effect. A similar announcement was made by pharmacy chain CVS Health and Walgreens. Each said they would pay about $5 billion over time to settle suits they face. More than half a million deaths have been attributed to the opioid crisis in the U.S. over the past two decades. Major drug makers and distributors have already announced and in some cases finalized settlements. And New York City just launched a pilot program in an effort to reduce homelessness. Mayor Eric Adams wants to make the rent supplement program more accessible and place up to 80 homeless adults into permanent housing, among other things. House, uh, homelessness in New York has been on the rise and so have rent prices. And the Real Estate Board of New York estimates that more than half a million new apartments need to be built by 2023 to accommodate population growth. So I spoke to a, consult, to a consultant who has already helped many communities reduce homelessness to ask what can be done. We're bringing in Robert Marbert Jr. in for more. He is a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute. Good morning, Robert. Good you've morning. been doing, you. good morning. It's great to have you because you've been doing a lot of research on homelessness. And before we dive into what can be done, um, please talk to me about what you think causes the issue. But by far the number one cause of street level homeless now is untreated mental illness with co-presenting substance abuse. And it's that simple. That's about what I just described is about three fourths of what we're seeing on the streets now. Please get into a little bit more detail because you were, you were roughly telling me about that. What have you been seeing on the streets? Well, in the last couple of weeks, I've been shooting a, a documentary, uh, uh, Americans with no address. And we were in San Francisco, Portland, Los Angeles, uh, all up and down the West Coast. And what was just shocking is how bad meth and fentanyl has become. Uh, we were literally going to one site in San Francisco. We were going to shoot at eight places. And we only stopped after three. The first three, they were overdosed. L literally, our van drives up. We're setting up and an overdose occurs across the street. That's transportable, meaning they transport if they think you're going to die. Because almost everybody, the streets we were on, almost everybody in the entire street, and I mean literally everybody in the entire street, was either had just uh, you know shot up, smoked up, whatever they were doing, 
and it collapsed. It was just, you look up and down and there'd be a hundred people just collapsed over. It is so sad what we've allowed this country to become. Now, of course, let's also talk about what the solutions could be. So what do you think could be, I mean, would be good and permanent solutions to that? Well, the good thing on ho the homelessness is many communities have figured it out. And you have to focus on untreated mental illness and substance use. And if you do that in alignment with housing, housing will stick. If you don't treat the underlying cause, you'll see what's happened with Project Room Key and Home Key in California, where the death rate in California has doubled in the last 24 months, not because of COVID, 94% of the increase is drug overdose. And so in very simple terms, we need to make it easy to get treatment and recovery, and we need to make it hard to get drugs. And yet in California, all up and down, especially San Francisco, they're actually providing a taxpayer area and providing supplies, not unlike Philadelphia is doing, and allowing people to you know, drug up, shoot up, overdose right in front. And they think this is a good idea. I, I mm -hmm. think we should be spending that type of money toward treatment and not making it easy to drug up. Right, and I want to spend one more minute to focus on um, what, what you were mentioning, housing. So one of the points in the report that recently came out by Discovery Institute is, and it, there's a point that says housing first policy should be eliminated. And I spoke to the CEO of Pathways Housing, Pathways Housing First, um, who said that this is actually the way they were able to end veteran homelessness in 83 cities in the U.S. so far. So why do you think they were able to see such a success with that method then? Well, it's very important to understand that what was done for veterans was not housing first as defined by HUD at all. It was very robust treatment services. And we should be able to require, just like you do with the Pell Grant, where a student's required to attend class, have a GPA, finish in a certain period of time. Housing first does not allow you, the way HUD does it, does not allow you to have participation requirements. Yet, when we did the Veterans Affairs Program at, when I was at the White House, they have very robust services like uh, mental health, substance use, job placement. That's why that program works. And so it's not a real housing first program as it's defined by HUD. I see, very interesting. Thank you so much, Robert Marver Jr. I really appreciate it today. Very in interesting insights. Thank you very much for having us. Appreciate it. Coming up, the EU reaffirms its support for Poland and Ukraine after a rocket killed two people on Tuesday near its eastern border with Ukraine. Poland has launched an investigation into the blast to determine the missile's origin. And cryptocurrency exchange FTX has updated Friday's bankruptcy filing. It now says it could owe money to over a million people. Get the details soon right here on NTD Good Morning. Welcome back. Poland is investigating the site of an explosion after a missile strike hit the country Tuesday. President Biden says the origin of the rocket that killed two in a Polish village is uncertain but not likely fired from Russia. Poland's president today said the country had no concrete evidence showing who fired the missile. Here's NTD's Kost Hemenes to tell us more. Poland's National Security Council is set to meet after a missile struck a Polish town on Tuesday. 
President Biden said all necessary steps will be taken to assist Poland with its investigation. We agreed to support Poland's investigation into the explosion in rural Poland near the Ukrainian border. And I'm going to make sure we figure out exactly what happened. He called an emergency meeting with G7 and NATO leaders after ally Poland said a Russian-made missile killed two in the eastern part of the country. The origin of the missile, however, has not yet been determined. Biden said in a statement to the media that he believes it's unlikely the rocket came out of Russia. Three U.S. officials said preliminary assessments suggest the missile was fired by Ukrainian forces at an incoming Russian missile. The Polish prime minister said the government was raising its military preparedness. Polish President Duda spoke on the incident from Warsaw on Tuesday, saying it is clear the U.S. will keep their alliances with Poland. He added that there are no indications that further events will take place. Meanwhile, EU Commissioner Ursula von der Leyen made an address of support for Poland. We offer our full support to Poland and assistance with the ongoing investigation. We will remain in close contact with our partners on the next steps. She added that the EU will stand with Ukraine for as long as it takes. Russia has denied any involvement in the missile strike, calling the allegations a deliberate provocation aimed at escalating the situation. Kostamines, NTD News. Many are wondering if they'll ever get their money back after cryptocurrency exchange FTX filed for bankruptcy on Friday. Now FTX has updated its filing, adding that it could owe money to over a million people. Entity's Jason Perry has a story. When Sam Bankman-Fried started the FTX cryptocurrency platform in 2019, he probably didn't think he would have to file for bankruptcy just a few years later. As a young billionaire, he expressed himself as humanitarian and he donated heavily to democratic causes. This past midterm, Bankman-Fried donated about $40 million to Democrats, becoming their second largest investor, only behind George Soros. But when a leaked balance sheet became public, FTX investors saw what appeared to be a behind-the-scenes Ponzi scheme. FTX clients then began mass withdrawals of their money, and FTX was unable to pay up. Bankman-Fried then filed for bankruptcy, owing billions to its clients. On Monday, FTX updated its bankruptcy filing, adding that it could have lost money for millions of people. Now Bankman-Fried and FTX are under investigation by the Justice Department and the Securities and Exchange Commission. Charlton Haup, CEO of Bad Astro Society, said that Bankman-Fried's house of cards has fallen down on him. At the very least right now, he's looking at mismanagement of funds. At the very, and that's at the very best, his best case scenario where he can just plead, hey, I just didn't know what was going on. Um, I mean, I did, but I mismanaged these funds and I did my best, guys, and I'm sorry, in which case he gets to go, uh, you know, get off scotch-free uh, unless we can find, or not we, but unless somebody were to find uh, fraudulent, uh, you know, some fraud there. And then if, if that's the case, now we're talking about jail time. Many outlets have reported that Ukraine invested in FTX, but NTD has been unable to verify this. An archived webpage of the Ministry of Digital Transformation for Ukraine shows FTX was involved in receiving crypto donations to Ukraine. The Deputy Minister of Digital Transformation of Ukraine tweeted, 
Ukraine's government never invested any funds into FTX, and the whole narrative that Ukraine allegedly invested in FTX, who donated money to Democrats, is nonsense. Also seen in an archived webpage, FTX was a partner of the World Economic Forum, which has since ended its partnership with the bankrupt cryptocurrency platform. Also connected to the FTX is the White House. As seen on its visitor logs, Sam Bankman-Fried and his brother, Gabriel, who is the founder and director of Guarding Against Pandemics, both visited the White House on multiple occasions this year. FTX is based in the Bahamas, and now the Securities Commission of the Bahamas has also launched an investigation. Jason Perry, NTD News. Protests in Brazil have been ongoing since leftist candidate Lula da Silva won the country's presidential election. On Monday, Brazil celebrated the anniversary of its transition into a republic, and more people joined the crowds in support of the national holiday. On Tuesday, the 15th November, on the anniversary of the republic's founding, protesters gathered around Brazil. Right now, we're in southern Brazil, in front of the Pinheirinho Fortress, in the city of Curitiba. We talked to some of the protesters to get to know more of what they are here for. I'm Brazilian, and I feel my rights as a Brazilian are being restricted. That's why I came here. They are taking away the basic rights of Brazilians. Other than that, I feel like this election was stolen. The people on the streets show this, that they do not agree with what happened. The protests started after leftist candidate Lula da Silva won Brazil's presidential election on a razor-thin margin on October 30th. Ever since, people have gathered around military infrastructure throughout the country. Although large numbers have been seen on the weekends and national holidays, many have been camping there and say they intend to continue until the military intervenes or parts of the electoral process they claim as illegitimate be addressed by the authorities. Protesters told us they fear for their freedom. We have been restricted. Freedom of expression, of thought, freedom to come and go. Minister Alexandre de Moraes has been very relentless about this. He is acting besides the Constitution and taking away the basic rights of Brazilians. Throughout the elections, media outlets were pressured by Brazil's electoral court, presided by Minister Alexandre de Moraes, not to quote common claims against Lula or mention his past criminal convictions in a bad light. Brazilian electoral authorities claim the elections were free and fair and that its results are uncontestable. Lula da Silva was elected in a coalition with the Communist Party of Brazil. The possibility of Brazil leaning towards an authoritarian path was quoted as a concern. My concern is the intent of evil people trying to impose communism on our country. We know that communism didn't work anywhere, and communism, at this moment, is being used to annihilate people. Next, after two failed attempts, NASA has finally launched its unmanned Artemis 1 rocket. It marks a solid step in the mission to return to the moon. That and more after the break. Good to have you back. NASA has finally launched its unmanned Artemis 1 rocket. It's a major step forward in the mission to return to the moon. Three. Two, one, boosters in ignition. The spacecraft took off, off from of Kennedy one. Space Center in we Florida at 1.47 a.m. Eastern. It's flying without astronauts for a test mission headed for deep space, kicking off a 25 and a half day journey around the moon. 
Before the launch, NASA was dealing with a liquid hydrogen leak and a network issue. The rocket is now officially the most powerful to ever reach Earth's orbit. It comes after two scrubbed launch attempts in August. The mission marks the inaugural launch of NASA's plan to send astronauts back to the moon. It will take several days for the spacecraft to reach its farthest point, about 40,000 miles beyond the moon. The capsule is slated to journey back to Earth and parachute to a splashdown landing in the Pacific Ocean on December 11th. One of the big crucial tests is going to be the heat shield. Uh, when we come back from low Earth orbit, uh, we're coming back at a speed of about 17,500 miles an hour. Coming back from the moon, it's going to be more, more around 25,000 miles an hour. So the heat shield is going to be under uh, much higher load, much higher temperature. Uh, previous tests have shown that this should work out. Uh, but of course, there's nothing like the real thing. And so hopefully all will go well and the spacecraft will perform well and also come back uh, intact. Moving on to a different topic, the White House has picked out this year's Christmas tree that will grace the Blue Room. White House officials selected a bluish green fir from a Pennsylvania tree farm. The 20-year-old tree comes from Evergreen Acres Christmas Tree Farm in Auburn. That's a fourth-generation family-run farm about 90 miles outside of Philadelphia. Evergreen Acres won the state's Christmas tree competition last year, and that gave the farm the honor to put a tree in the White House. Since the 1940s, the farm has been growing Christmas trees. It has about 60,000 trees in production in any given year. It, it is a lot of pressure, and uh, we didn't want a whole lot of people here. We weren't sure how this was going to go. This was all engineered in our heads. We never, we didn't even have a rehearsal run here. So this is the best we could do, and I think it came off pretty good. And that's actually their second time to supply the tree, uh, their tree to the White House. Evergreen presented a holiday tree to the Clinton White House in, in 2000. Oh, good to know. Yeah, and going back further in time, the first White House Christmas tree was set up in the Yellow Oval Room in 1889. Right, 1889. That was Benjamin Harrison. Yes, that's right. You're good. Yeah, okay, so since you're so smart, who started the tradition of selecting the decor for the White House during the Christmas season? Oh, First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy, no? Of course. Of yeah. course. That's good. Nice. I'm going to have to stump you one of these days. Ah, we'll see. Let's try again tomorrow. <laughs> uh, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you. You can share your thoughts and your story at goodmorning at attendee.com. Shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.